So uh, we've been having a, a great morning so far, really enjoying a sense of God's grace as we worship. And that's really the theme of everything we're talking about in Galatians. So although it looks like I've got a little bit shorter today to explain uh, quite a complicated passage, I think you'll get the gist of it because we've been experiencing and enjoying this already. So um, I'm also going to attempt to just seamlessly connect this to the baby dedications we just did. So it's a bit of an all-in-one this morning. Here we go. So let's read Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 to 31. It says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the chains of pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Uh, We'll we'll actually go on and read the rest of the the verses. It says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. That is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the, children, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman." Those first couple of verses we read today, Paul very deliberately uses the analogy of childbirth and the, the heartache and sorrow of being a parent. And we've heard today what a wonderful thing. It's a blessing to, to have children. Children are always a blessing. Wonderful. And it's a real privilege to be a parent, but it's not always easy. And it's totally right and good that people should come and say, look, we want you to pray for us and and help us, support us to raise our children because it's a demanding role. I think um, you might find it slightly odd that a first century man like the Apostle Paul, who probably wasn't married and didn't have children, should use an example to say that the pain he feels is like the pain of a woman giving birth. And uh, apparently the mums group was reading this scripture and talking about it. They didn't get past that verse, apparently. (laughs) So it's like, really? Did he really mean that? And that's kind of how he felt. He he, He says this word, he says, I'm deeply perplexed about you. As we've read through Galatians, we've understood time and time again, He's not making a linear argument all the way through. He's saying the same thing in different ways, different creative ways of saying, guys, I want you to get hold of the grace of God. You're missing it. You're making a mistake. And do you know that's what good parenting looks like? It's to never give up on your children. It's to always find creative ways and keep saying the same things. If you see them make a mistake, it's it's to help them and advise them and to try and bring them back to do the right thing. And that's what Paul is doing here. 
It's one of my, uh, one of my favorite films is a, a film called Brass Off. It's a 90s film, sort of 20 years old. But it's the, it's the story of the mining strike of the 1980s, told in a humorous, dark way, as British films often are. And there, there's a scene in it, the main character of the film, it, it revolves around this father-son relationship. And this son loses everything. He's a miner. He breaks the picket line. He loses all of his friends and colleagues because of that. He loses all his money. He loses his house. He loses his wife and family. Everything he loses as a result of the decisions he makes. And he attempts to commit suicide. He goes to a park, and he tries to hang himself. And his dad gets wind of it. His dad's an elderly man. He's dying himself in hospital. But he hobbles out of hospital and he goes to the park and he starts yelling at his son with all his might, telling him how selfish he's being, what an idiot he's being, how dare he even think the thoughts he's thinking. And at which point there's this beautiful English policeman who comes up and says, says uh, excuse me, sir, is this, uh, is this man bothering you? <laughs> and there's this priceless line where Phil, who's beginning to come to his senses, he says, of course he's bothering me, he's my dad. <laughs> That's what dads do, they bother you. That's what parents do, they bother you. And at times, I'm sure you will find that annoying and can be annoying, but that's what God has called us to do. So what are the things here that Paul is getting perplexed at? Well, he's getting perplexed at their understanding of grace or their non-understanding of grace. There's a group of Christians in the early church in Galatia, and they're thinking, well, where do I fit? That's often a question that you might find yourself feeling when you go to a new job or a new workplace or a new school, new university, and you're trying to make new friends. You think, well, who do I fit with? Who's my crowd? If you're intending to join a boy band, you have to decide whether you're cheeky, funny, handsome, or shy guy. <laughs> it's kind of like eldership, isn't it, guys, actually? It's... I mean, I... I've got handsome. I don't know what you guys want to be, but... <laughs> Maybe today you're here and you, you, you're feeling that pressure of, well, where, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? Do I fit into King's Church? Do I fit into Christianity? Where's my place? And that seems to be the very core of what is being discussed in these letters. They're asking that question. And he says, tell me you who want to be under the law. That's the pressure they're coming under. Are you not aware of what the law says? And in verse 24, he says the following example is a figurative example. That's, that's to say he's telling a true story, but he's going to use the true story to make some other points. So he's going to take the key characters from the story and he's going to make some other points with them. So I, don't, I mean, in this series, we've been diligent to be white, hot, culturally relevant with all the illustrations we use. How many of you can remember the Happy Families card game? Yeah, that's right. It was kind of designed back in the 1930s. And uh, I was looking for some online version of it, but nobody seems to play it anymore. But the, the game is Happy Families. You get Mr. Bun the Baker and Mr. What's it, the Butcher and all of that. Well, what you find is that Paul tells this story, and it's a story of about, it's about a family in the Bible. And it's a well-known family. It's the family of Abraham. And as so often you find in, in the biblical stories, because it tells you the whole story, it's not a happy situation. It's an unhappy situation. There's no shame today if you're from an unhappy background. God can use you and God will use you. In fact, this story is all about a really messed up situation that God uses. And the story starts off with Mr. Abraham. Here he is. Let's, uh, let's put him over here. 
And Abraham's just an ordinary guy. He's a pagan, doesn't believe in God. One day God shows himself to him. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to get hold of you. I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to give you children and children's children and children's children. He says, one day, every family on earth is going to be affected through you. Wow, what an incredible promise. At the time of receiving the promise, Abraham was age 75. He was an old pensioner. And he's married to this lady. She's, uh, she's a spring chicken by comparison. She's just a mere 65. And they're married, and they receive a promise from God, and the promise is they're going to have children. And that's going to take some believing. I'm sure you'll understand that. A 65-year-old lady believing that she is going to bear children. But they take God at his word. It says they, he believed God, Abraham. Ten years passes. And the life of faith is a, a complex life, isn't it? Every day they'd have been thinking, God, we're trusting you for this. But at the same time, they'd have been thinking, is this going to happen? That's the tension of faith. It's not to be in denial about the reality of your situation. So one day, Sarah says to Abraham, she says, you know what, Abraham? Maybe God needs a helping hand with the promise. It's not that the promise isn't true, but maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to put some effort in here. And this was the solution she came up with. She said, here's my slave girl, Hagar. She's young and attractive, and she will produce you a child in your name. And this could be the child of promise. So she encourages Abraham to take Hagar to be his wife. So Abraham steps outside of the plan of God. The plan of God in marriage is between one man and one woman. That's right there in the early chapters of Genesis. Abraham goes for two wives. In uh, 1 Corinthians 7, it says, it says, if you're married, it's a wonderful blessing, he says, but if, if you're married, you'll have trouble in this life. And uh, here we have Abraham. He inherits a double portion of trouble, double trouble. <laughs> and it does turn out into real trouble for him. So not surprisingly, she gets pregnant with a child. And when I say not surprisingly, because that's just generally how things happen. So she was barren, but she got pregnant. Now, as soon as she got pregnant, because they lived in a world where everything was about having children, your whole identity was locked into having children. That was the pagan world that they were part of. So she, it says that she began to despise her. She began to mock her and laugh at her because she was saying, here I am, I've got the child. I'm the worthy one now. I'm the one who it's all about. You're just some second-rate wife. So because she was the slave girl and she was the, the, the mistress, she started persecuting her. She started being mean to her. So Hagar runs away. She goes over here. And then God looks after her and God says, go back, go back, I'll look after you. So Hagar goes back and faces the music. So this is what happens. So she gives birth to a son. His name is Ishmael. Are you following me so far? Can you see this upstairs, by the way? You could put it on the camera if you like. Um, so Ishmael is the, the son. Ishmael grows up to be a teenager, but he's the child of human effort. That's what the Bible teaches us about him. He comes by human intervention, not as the result of a promise. He becomes a teenager. He looks like a teenager. There you go. Thirteen years later, thirteen years later, there's a knock on the door of Abraham's tent. I thought that was funny. Knock on the door of a tent. Yeah. Um, and 
there's some visitors, and the visitors say, Abraham, just want to remind you, this time next year, you're going to have a child, and it's the child of promise. Sarah overhears, and she laughs. She laughs a cynical laugh, because she's thinking, I've been waiting 10 years, 25 years for this to happen. She says, and now you're saying, and, and God says, uh, why is she laughing? And very wisely, Sarah says, I wasn't, <laughs> no, no laughing going on here, God, no. She, she denies it. A year later, she is laughing again. The, the, the name Isaac means laughter. And she was laughing because she was holding the result of God's promise. And here he is, Isaac. Name means laughter. And she was delighted. She had moved from a place of cynicism to a place of faith in the course of a year. You might be here today, and you might be looking at Christianity, and you might be a little bit cynical and questioning about some of the things. And even this morning, you thought, oh, what about that? And that's a bit funny, isn't it? Do you know, God's got a journey for you. He wants to take you from the place of unbelief to the place of believing him. And that's exactly what happened for Sarah. For, for, um, uh, for Sarah. Yeah. She became a woman of faith. She trusted God. She moved from cynicism to faith. Now, not surprisingly, this situation is a disaster because her and her don't get on, and him and him don't get on. You've got a teenage boy left with a young baby who he's being told is more important than him. I imagine the scene being a bit like a, a, a grungy teenager pulling legs off a spider. He's that kind of mean guy, and, and it says that he persecutes him. He's mean to him. So Sarah says, okay, Abraham, there's no other solution for this. We need to break up this happy little family. And I want you to get rid of Hagar, the slave girl, and Ishmael, her son. So Abraham does that. He sends them away. So they go over here. They get sent away. They get cut out of the family. They're no longer in the family inheritance. They're no longer in the family lineage. They're no longer part of the promise that God has made. That's the story. That's the, the thing that Paul wants us to learn something from. Now, he, he changes some of the points of reference here. So let's just get rid of Abraham for a minute. So here we have Sarah and her son Isaac. And here we have Hagar and her son Ishmael. And Paul, in those verses we read, says these things are being taken figuratively. So that story tells us, is the background for the story he wants to tell us. The women represent two covenants. So... Just, just before we say that, if you, have you ever been lost somewhere in a city and you're pretending you're not lost to those around you to just keep some, uh, some credibility, but then you, out the corner of your eye you spot one of those maps on a pillar. Do you know the ones? And what's that thing that you're looking for as you just glance over at the map? What's the thing you're really looking for? The you are here sign. And you think, that's it, I know where I am, everything else makes sense. As Paul's using this analogy, you've got people who have some kind of Jewish upbringing, Jewish background in the church, or false teachers who are saying to be Jewish is all important. And Paul is kind of challenging them, because if you were to ask them, say, so where do you fit on this family tree? They would say, well, we're descendants of Abraham, we're descendants of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David. Well, clearly, we're on this side of the family. They'd say... We're here. Paul, in these verses that follow, says, no, you're not. He says, you 
are not part of the promised family, you are part of the slave family in this illustration. So he says, these things are being taken figuratively. Verse 24, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. That is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So let's just write down some of these things. So what we're being told here is, and I've got these the wrong way around. Um, can you help me move these whiteboards around? Do you mind? Sorry. Just... Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. So, this, so two covenants. He says this one is one covenant, and we can call this one the old covenant. Okay? This one over here, by contrast, is... The new covenant. And he, th he then gives us some definition as to what these two covenants look like. And he wants us to see where we are on this picture, where you and I are. And he says, the first thing we see about this covenant is, well, it's to do with slavery. It's a slave covenant. Whereas... This lady is a free woman. It's about freedom. The second thing we see about this, this was the result of flesh, human activity, just ordinariness. Flesh. This one is a result of supernatural intervention. Giving a, a lady who's 90 years old a baby is supernatural. This one is about Mount Sinai which is where the law of God was given. The Ten Commandments, flashes, fire, smoke, and all of that. This one is about a different mountain, Mount Zion, which in the New Testament refers to the future dwelling place of God for all generations. This one is about earthly Jerusalem. This one is about heavenly Jerusalem. See, it says that in verse 25. This one, Ishmael was the son of a slave that made him a slave. Ishmael's children were therefore also deemed to be slaves. This produces slaves. This one produces children. And biblically, the children means heirs. It means sons. It means those who will inherit the full family name and rights. This one reacts very badly to this one. And so he causes pain for Isaac. This one gets persecuted. So he suffers. So... What Paul's doing in these verses, if you can see that, is he's contrasting as best as he can the difference between an old covenant and a new covenant. What the Jewish teachers that were infiltrating Galatia were saying was, what we really want to teach you is to be a mature Christian. We want to get you to know as much of this stuff as you can. 
to help you to be a better person, to help you understand your place in God. Paul says, no, because when you compare these two things, this one is so far superior that there's no comparison between the two. Has anybody here got an iPhone 6? You don't want to own up to it, do you? Right. (laughs) Just go on. Go on, man. uh... Where's my... uh... Here we go. This... This beast here is uh, a Motorola M301, I believe, is that, is that right? I think Angelo's still using it. <laughs> I mean, this was first constructed in 1805 and has a battery life of 10 minutes and I, I, I think can make phone calls within a 10-meter radius. It can't send texts, it can't do the internet, It can't do Facebook or Snapchatting or any of that other stuff that is so valuable and important today. It's it's old. It's defunct. Now, if if I was to offer you this today, say, anybody want a mobile phone? Don't worry, I'm not going to give it away, Angelo. (laughs) I know for some reason you love this thing. (laughs) You'd say, well, if it's the best thing you've got, I'll, I'll take it. It might be some use. But if I was to say to you today, well, I'm giving phones away and... You've got a choice. Would, would you like the iPhone 6 or the Motorola M301? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, of course you're going to go for the new because it's so, so far superior. I, I don't think I'm free to give that away, really. So, um, But um, you see, the way the new covenant is portrayed is it's so, so much better that Paul wants you and I to understand that we're part of a new covenant and that we're no longer under an old covenant. And let me give you four questions relating to these points, which, which will help you to see where you're finding your thinking. If you're a Christian, you're in this covenant. If you're outside of Christ, by whatever means, you're in this covenant. It's about your works. It's about what you do. It's about self-effort. In this one, it's about believing God. It's about faith. So let me ask you some questions to see where your thinking is for you. Here's question one. Am I relying on myself or God? See, the difference in covenants is is a covenant of the flesh versus a covenant of the spirit. A covenant of trying versus a covenant of trusting. The old covenant is about human activity and credentials It's about saying, if there's a way to know God, I must figure it out by human means. The Jewish people used the law as a means of trying to achieve self-righteousness before God. And what was being taught in Galatia was, if you get circumcised, then that will make you more acceptable to God. Any kind of reliance on yourself is old covenant. The solution comes from outside. The solution is the spirit living within you, God working in you. He transforms you. He changes God's verdict over your life from guilty to not guilty. He clothes you in his righteousness. He makes you a son of God and fills you with his spirit. And do you know what? That tells you that your background is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether you came from an influential or a wealthy family It doesn't matter how intelligent your parents are or intellectual or whether you are well-respected. 
It tells me that it doesn't matter how many Christian camps you went to as a child and whether you know all the words of this little light of mine. None of that matters. It's of no advantage because the new covenant is a work of God from without, something to save you, something that makes your past forgiven and forgotten. It's not human birth that matters, it's the new birth that counts. That's question one, am I relying on myself or God? Second question, am I enjoying God's grace? Am I enjoying God's grace? It's the contrast between slavery and freedom. Just right away those words say to us, well, I'd like to be one of those. Slavery is a horrible, awful thing. And sadly, even in our world today, it's rampant across the world. We would never choose to be a slave. Yet there's a spiritual slavery that Jesus buys us out of. See, the law of God, although it was pure and perfect, it actually showed us our own limitations. It actually held us captive. It constrained us. It showed us our failure. It didn't bring freedom to us to do the right thing. It actually stopped us from doing the wrong thing. Let me take a, a, a dangerous example. I don't want you to misunderstand this. Why do we have speeding signs? Why do we have speed limits on, on the motorways? Why do they have a, a big ring saying 70 miles an hour? <coughs> the answer is this. It's because you and I can't be trusted to drive at the appropriate speed for the conditions <coughs> we're in. We're not trustworthy in that element. So therefore, laws get made to say, well, this is generically safe. That's kind of what the law was in the Old Testament. It was a generic set of principles to say, well, th this will keep you safe. But it was a supervisory role to stop you from, uh, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't trusting you to actually do the right thing. In the New Covenant, it says, God writes his law on our hearts. He writes the right things to do in our hearts, and, and the Spirit of God prompts us. We, we find that we don't... It, we find the Spirit regularly prompting us when we're in different situations. You feel that nudge of the Spirit saying, do this or do that, or give that person some money. Or do, that, that's the life of the Spirit at work within you. Freedom allows God to write his law on our hearts and for us to be led by the Spirit. And it's a life of enjoying God's grace not a life of slavery. Here's the third question. Do you see your future as earthly or heavenly? Some false teachers had come from Jerusalem headquarters, the Jerusalem of earth. So ingrained was the sense of earthly geography into the early church. Paul says in these verses there's a new HQ. He says, and it's not somewhere in the Middle East. If you want to go on a pilgrimage, don't go to Jerusalem, go to heaven. There's a new Jerusalem. There's a city, a dwelling place from God. The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. That's the one who is calling us. We belong to a new community. Our citizenship is already there. You already have a passport with your name on it if you believe in Jesus that one day you will be part of that community, redeemed with God forever, part of his dwelling place. 
and it's not a place for one earthly family. The problem with the old covenant was this. It, it seemed to imply that there was only one, uh, one family on earth that was ever going to get blessed. In the new covenant, it says, oh, God's throwing open the doors wide open. They didn't understand quite how big this thing was going to go. A bit like a YouTube video that goes viral. And you think, wow, millions. This is what happened to the gospel. They thought, well, we're just going to add a few people into Judaism. We're just going to help them see some of our laws. God says, not enough. Do you know there's two, over 2 billion Christians around the world today? And it's growing and growing because God has a plan to seek and save the lost. It's a place where you're not a loner, but a brother or a sister, or a son or a daughter. A place where each one comes to new birth. We, we sing a, a hymn quite often here called Amazing Grace. And it's written by a guy called John Newton. He was a slave ship captain back in the, in the days. And he was a horrible, horrible man by his own confession. He did all sorts of evil things. And he became a Christian. And the song, that song, Amazing Grace, it's such a powerful song, isn't it? Because Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. He really was a wretch. He said, I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind but now I see. He wrote many, many other hymns. Another hymn that he wrote, which we, we don't sing, and it's largely because the tune of it is the same as the German national anthem. And that wouldn't kind of feel right for us somehow. To, to, to sing that, but the words go like this. The, the song is, Glorious things of thee are spoken. And he's talking all about his citizenship of a heavenly city, the church. And these are the words of the last verse of that hymn. He says, Saviour, if of Zion's city, I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. That's what it is to be part of a new covenant. It's to be part of a community of God's people worldwide, of all generations, and say, one day we will dwell with God forever. It's full of joy. This, uh, this scripture that gets quoted, Isaiah 54 says, shout and be glad. Shout, O barren woman, sing for joy. Legalism is such a miserable place. But grace says, shout and be glad. Be joyful because God loves me, not because of what I've done. Last question to ask. So, am I relying on myself or God? Am I enjoying God's grace? Am I seeing my future as earthly or heavenly? Last one, am I, be am I being a pain or am I enduring pain for Christ? Am I being a pain or am I enduring pain for Christ? Ishmael caused pain for Isaac. And throughout Scripture you find that the, the, the old always persecutes the new. Even the, the wineskins thing Jesus told the people say, well, the old is better. There's that, there's that sense of rivalry between the two. Self-righteousness is always going to compete with righteousness as a gift through promise. That means if you're going to follow Christ, then there'll be sorrow and suffering. It means that others will persecute and cause you pain at times in this life. 
Okay, verse 28. Let's just uh, conclude with these comments. It says, Now you, brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. So what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. He says, this is where you stand. You, me, here today, anybody who has put their trust in Jesus Christ, you are here. You are Isaac. You are the child of promise. You come to God not on the basis of human effort, but on the basis of God's love for you and his promise to bless you. God will always work in his life according to his plan to bless you, not according to your ability to work. And he says this thing, he says, what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Sounds a bit cruel, doesn't it? Get rid of her. What he's saying is, get rid of this old covenant out of your life. Don't relate to God on this basis anymore. Don't think that your performance is going to make God love you anymore. Don't think that God is going to be impressed by your ability to keep his law. Rather, think of yourself as a new covenant person where you say, God loves me as I am, and he loves me despite my failure. And I love him, and I want to do his will because I love him, but my righteousness will never be enough. I'm a child of promise. I'm not a child of human effort. You know, promise is harder to believe than law. Final thing I want to say is this, as we wrap up. That in many ways, this feels so much more concrete. Because you're looking back at a set of laws, and you're saying, well, if I do this, then this will happen. And if I do that, then that will happen. This one requires faith. It requires you to believe in a future. For some of you, you'll be facing extreme doubt and questioning in your mind. You'll be thinking, I, 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 just, I don't know what I think about a lot of things anymore. That's the battle of faith that you're facing. It's the battle of faith that Abraham and Sarah face. They think, well, maybe God needs a helping hand. Maybe, maybe I need to change the way I'm believing things here. No, you just need to keep believing. You need to keep trusting God. For some of you, what's in front of you right now, the things that fill your horizon and that you love, seems so much more attractive than some kind of future promise. And today God wants to remind you of his promise. And he wants to fill you afresh with his spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing that promise to come. Let's stand and pray as we conclude here. Or you can sit as well. Once again, Lord, we want to thank you for grace. Thank you, you love me as I am. Despite all of my failure, all of my mistakes, even the mistakes I'm already going to make today and tomorrow and next week, you love me and you accept me in Christ. Lord, I want to pray for those struggling and doubting here today. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you'd strengthen them and help them. Help those who are feeling to give up on the promise, Lord. Help them to keep trusting.
Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and fill us again. Come and keep giving us that down payment of the glory that is to be. Oh Lord, thank you for a citizenship in heaven where we will be forever with you. How glorious, Lord. What a hope. What a wonderful thing, all as a result of you, Jesus. We love you, and today we put our trust in you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.